Welcome to Light Trees and News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined today by Meredith. Hello. Hello. I just asked you before we started recording how you're doing because you are leaving the city in like five days. Yes. Insanity. I hate it. Like, I'm so happy for you. So excited for the future. Blah, blah, blah. You're making all the right decisions for your career and your well-being and all of that stuff. But also, I'm pissed. Hey, this is another reason to be pissed about COVID and about Netflix's inability to be transparent about when it why it makes its decisions. <laughs> Uh, A little background, uh, (laughs) Meredith worked on the uh, Patriot Act with Hassan Minaj, and uh, it was a very popular show, very beloved show. Some fucking reason didn't renew you guys, so uh, you had to make certain lifestyle adjustments. Yes, and also, as we've discussed many times, I, unlike some of you toughies, have... uh, come to the end of my rope with New York City and have decided that it is time to do some more family-oriented, heartwarming, hallmarky stuff. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of New Yorkers, uh, myself included, pride ourselves on being miserable all the time because that makes us quote-unquote tough. And anybody who leaves is portrayed as being like, oh, they couldn't cut it. They were soft. And literally everyone I know who has left the city is like, oh, I'm so much happier now and I made the right decision. I recognize that's the case. I have just lived in the city so long that I recognize I am ruined as a person forever. And um, leaving is not an option for me because I can't, I don't think I would fit in anywhere else. Do you know what I mean? I do. And I think that that's something that a lot of people can feel. You know, the fact that I come from, Madison, Wisconsin, that I actually like my family, that, uh, and to be clear, I, I like my family. They just happen to live in North Jersey. So like, they're very close to me right now, um, geographically, culturally, all that stuff. But yeah, I know what you mean. There are some people who are like, it's not an option to go back home because it's like, well, I don't even feel like I'm part of this community. I don't have a support system. Like, why would I go back? Right. And as somebody who has the luxury to do that, uh, and also, um, yeah, man, you torture yourself by working in the media for 16 years and tell me how much more you want to do it. Like, (laughs) I mean, that is how and why we're friends. And I fully get why you're just like, peace. Now, what I said off air that I'm now going to commit to the podcast to put additional pressure on you is I said, I want to see you writing reviews for film because and we're going to get to this in a second in the recommendation section I never see you light up and and get more passionate than when you're talking about film you're a great writer I'm like I want to see you delve in a film more in tv uh and thank you I really appreciate that um I have always loved it and I think always wanted to kind of do that and I mean, what does it say to me about what kind of broken person I am that I just gravitated towards writing about politics because it was the natural thing and not the thing I wanted to do? Like, nobody falls into this unless you're... Anyway, 
It's almost like people who work in politics and journalism are profoundly unhappy people. Right. I think that's true. And I, uh, but hopefully I can find a way to spend some of my time working on that. I think it would be fun. I enjoy it. And I do love recommending movies to people. Uh, you, a Twitter friend of mine who I know because she has a very cute dog was saying she was watching lots of, wanted to watch only stupid or funny, bad movies. And I gave her a, yeah. Gosh, anytime I need recommendations (laughs) for anything dumb or escapist or horror, I write you and Charles. Like you guys are my go-tos for those types of recommendations, which says a lot because Charles hosts a horror podcast. So it's like, you are clearly destined to do more stuff with film. So I'm, I'm excited to see what you do next is what I'm saying. I, um, well, I appreciate that. And I hope to live up to that and uh, find people who will let me write about it for them. And, you know, that can be the next project for COVID winter. That yeah, and- you know, you give me like strong Amy Nicholson vibes. Love it. God, that's so sweet. I love her. She's so Yeah, sweet. I love her too. She's just such a thoughtful, smart critic. But yeah. Um, okay, so let's let's get into some stuff because you and I have so much to talk about. Um, especially in the recommendation section, <laughs> guys, I, it's just a miracle at this point that I don't just host a pop culture podcast because that is obviously what I want to talk about. Um, not that I don't like talk huge air quotes around like talking about politics, but you know, um, 2020, she was a bitch. So, uh, I've been enjoying escaping right now, but anyway, I wanted to thank my newest, uh, upgrader over at my Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. Jamie upgraded their support over there and left a comment slash story that they wanted me to read. Meredith, I recently have been asking people for spooky stories, like ghost stories or just general spookiness, and no one has disappointed me yet, so hopefully uh, Jamie will keep that ball rolling, but they write, oh man, hearing Mark's story reminded me uh, to up my subscription, wow, so uh, thank you, Mark, your story was so good. Uh, they upgraded their support. So that's amazing. Um, so I can share some spooks. One of my friends' first apartments was um, definitely haunted. Rent was super cheap compared to the rest of the building. That's always a huge warning sign right there. Um, the landlord gave her champagne when she signed the lease because, quote unquote, nobody wants this unit. Oh, honey. There were so many warning signs. On the outside of her front door was carved, where's my money, Steve? And the bathroom mirror was constantly fogged over. Okay, even when we're not showering, that's cause for concern. One day, my girlfriend went over to visit, walks into the kitchen to see all the cupboards are open. She proceeds to go close them. Our friend goes, oh, don't bother. Steve will just open them again. Lo and behold, next time she's in the kitchen, all the cupboards are open again. Steve also liked to freeze drinks. So you couldn't leave your drink alone in that apartment lest it turn to ice. 
<gasps> that is such a creepy detail that I've never heard before in like a ghost story. At one point, this friend had a mouse problem and was being kept awake by the sound. One night she goes, Steve, could you um make yourself useful? And stopped hearing scurrying. <gasps> Next morning, there was a mouse with its neck snapped on her counter <gasps> underneath a bag of avocados. She moved out after that. Holy shit. Jamie, that was so scary. I do not like that. Oh, my God. The, the fuck it. I really didn't see. I try not to read the full ghost stories. So I have like the element of surprise on the show. I thought the just the end of the scurrying was going to be the end of the mouse. And nope, its neck was. How did its neck get snapped? I don't like that. I don't like it. I don't I don't like it, but I love it. Thank you. Um, Sophie also wrote in. And by the way, if you are any level of supporter of mine over at my Patreon, you can leave those types of wonderful stories. Thank you again, Jamie. That was so good. Um, or recommendations, general comments, anything like that. We'll read them on the show. You're a VIP member because you support my Patreon. So you get to uh, skip the line, as they say. So Sophie wrote in a couple times, which is great. We love it, Sophie. You can always send more than one message. Don't ever limit yourself or your freedom of expression as an American, okay? Sophie is not an American, as far as I know, but um, they are in my heart. So (laughs) Sophie writes, in this holiday season, I'd like to share the gift of Taskmaster, now fully available on YouTube. It's a British entertainment show which has comedians, such as Catherine Ryan, compete in random and often ridiculous tasks. Cheating is almost always involved. The hosts are great (laughs) at making fun of the contestants, and everyone looks like they're having the best time. It's been a great source of wholesome entertainment during lockdown. Also, I'd like to thank Charles for recommending Little Mix, who absolutely no one I know listens to, but who always brings me great joy. Cheers. Yes, that was a great Charles recommendation. Little Mix is wonderful. Um, That show sounds great. Cheating is almost always involved. The hosts are mean to the contestants. Yes, yes, I love it. I love British game shows like that where they don't coddle the guests. I love it. British game shows where they're mean to the contestants and uh, Japanese game shows where things are just super chaotic. Japanese game shows where the entire game is, is this chocolate or not chocolate, are the best. It's just people like tentatively biting into furniture like, is this chocolate? It is. And then they their face lights up because it's chocolate, which is the best. So you're happy. Um, so Sophie also writes, spooky story. This takes place when I was in university and staying in a dorm room. Think bunk beds with ladders and a desk facing the wall under each bed. Thank you, Sophie. Because there are a variety of layouts of dorm rooms. And now I have a clear mental picture of which one we're dealing with right now. I climbed down from my bed in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and noticed one of my roommates was sitting at her desk in the dark, with her back to me. I was half asleep. It was dark, and I couldn't see clearly. And I figured she was studying or praying. She would pray sometimes for an hour every morning and every night before going to bed. 
I got back from the bathroom, walking past her at her desk again, climbed back up my bed, then turned to her bed, and you guessed it, she was actually asleep in it. I was frozen in my bed and couldn't make myself look down at the desk for a long while before I finally managed to fall asleep. Sophie, you went back to sleep. Oh, my God. Of course, my roommate had no idea what I was talking about when I asked her about it the next morning. Might have been a dream, but if that's the case, I've never had such a vivid and scary one in my life. Sophie, with the spookiness. So here's what I would wager. Your roommate probably slept, sleepwalked and was sitting at the desk, but even that is very scary. I find sleepwalkers to be very spooky because I sleepwalk sometimes, and there's no worse feeling than waking up and not knowing uh, where you are or what happened. I once famously sleepwalked out of my apartment and after opening the dishwasher for some reason, uh, and, uh, fell asleep on my doormat and I woke up on my doormat. That's so frightening. Mm-hmm. And I woke up to the sound of my neighbor's door shutting, which means they had to like physically step over me and didn't check on me and just slam the door behind them, which is the most New York neighbor move in the world. Unbelievable. The one time I did any sort of sleepwalking, I gave myself a black eye. Oh, my God, because you obviously you ran into something. Yeah, and I was having a dream. It was after a long, long road trip. I think I had been driving with my uh, partner at the time back from the Midwest to New York City. And, of course, I always have weird dreams about driving the night after a long drive. Mm. And so I had a dream of a car crash where we're in the car and we end up we're rear-ending a semi-truck. I remember very clearly smashing into the lights of the back of this truck. And when I woke up, I was on the floor and my face was killing me. And I, because I had smashed myself into a desk chair. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. It's so scary. Like, you know, Mike Birbiglia is probably the most famous sleepwalker in the world (laughs) because he's done multiple comedy specials about it. But, um, like, he has to physically be restrained because he um, threw himself out a window one time. Yeah. Which is just, uh, I can't, that is so scary. I'm very tentative, I imagine, when I sleepwalk. I'm not, like, one of these sleepwalkers who's, like, running around and throwing myself at things. That is just a whole other level of terrifying. But just the fact that I had enough cognitive ability where I opened the door, like I could still function at that level and I truly have no memory of it is so scary. Um, but Sophie, thank you. Another great story. Once again, I'm loving these ghost stories. Please keep them coming. It's just a nice, um, palate cleanser and you guys seem to be enjoying it. So let's keep it going. Spooky is not seasonal. So, um, tis the season always to get spooked. Um, so on that note, I also wanted to get to our recommendations because, you know, I always want to talk to you, Meredith, but especially when we both have seen certain films that we just want to <laughs> um, rant about for a while. So we have a huge horror recommendation, speaking of uh, spooky not being seasonal for everyone. 
The Dark and the Wicked, everybody. Oh, boy. Brian Brutino, who, of course, is the much-hailed director of The Strangers, one of the best horror films of all time, is back in a huge way. I'm going to say it, and some people might accuse me of being hyperbolic, but fuck them. This is my space. I think this is one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. I don't think that that's an exaggeration. I feel like, given that I didn't watch The Strangers again for 12 years. God. (laughs) I mean, like, truly, if I was to rank the scariest films I've ever seen, The Dark and the Wicked certainly would be at the top of that list. The Strangers would be up there, too. It is terrifying. He has, and I, I fully say, yes, he has done it again. This movie is chilling in a you know hot summer night where you still feel like you can see your breath like because you don't don't know why it is a triumph of atmosphere for a story that is about one single family on an isolated farm it is you know a great exploration of good and evil but mostly just evil and it really taps into this repressed Catholic fear of the devil in like a primal way, because I am very much a recovered Catholic at this point. I've been atheist slash agnostic for m- most of my life at this point. I didn't know how much residual shit I have left over from because what I think a lot of people don't understand about being raised Catholic is you're a child and you are fully convinced the devil is real and he is coming for your immortal soul and you will burn forever. If you cave to him in any way, you fully believe that. So, and I was watching this and I like, I didn't realize how much stuff I still had from that because I, I said out loud to no one, I'm so fucking scared multiple times while I was watching it. And then I finally started coping with it by texting you and Charles. Cause I was like, I'm actually so scared at this point. I can't fully engage with the movie anymore. It was, yeah, I watched it by myself. I was actually at my parents' house. So I'm in my room and I think, okay, I'm going to watch this. It'll be fun. And I thought I'm going to make it really spooky. And I turned the lights <laughs> off. So I'm watching it in the dark in my childhood bedroom. Ugh. And Wow, I was curled up with my uh, with my elbows around my face, you know, gripping myself. Yeah. On my laptop, I felt like I was in, in the scare, like watching it in a drive, like at a drive-in in the middle of nowhere. Uh, yeah. That kind of eerie outdoor. It was. I just kept going. We keep, I think like one of the the best compliments you can give a film is you and I keep quoting it to each other. Yes. (laughs) And I won't say what line or who the character is because it's like a minor spoiler, but that to me is always a a, a huge compliment for any film where it's like, it's quote worthy. I have just images from that movie burned into my memory forever as I do with The Strangers. Um, Brian Bertino is out of his mind. Um, I don't want to talk it up too much just because I want people to see it and not like, I know everybody has different standards of 
spooky and what's scary to me might not be scary to you. I have a different background than you, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't want anybody to be like disappointed if they watch it and they're like, oh, it wasn't that uh, scary because I think just as a film, it's a great film. So like if you don't find it that scary, you'll enjoy it just as a a work of art, you know? And, you know, let's let's get into the basic premise of it, at least so people have some idea. Great idea, Meredith. Great idea. So you, it starts and there is a creepy ass farm in the middle of nowhere. looks like West Texas. And there's an old woman and her husband, who's clearly very ill, looks like he's nearing the end of his life with some sort of illness. Something is very wrong. Their adult children who seem to have some sort of estrangement come to the farm to say their goodbyes to the father and shit gets terrifying. And it is your, it's a classic, is it the devil? Are there, is there a possession? What kind of evil is lurking in this family? And And I, I appreciated how there wasn't really an exploration of, a why like why this family to me what was so scary about the strangers is that line at the end where if you don't know the the premise of the strangers it's starring Liv Tyler she is alone in a house and a group of masked um invaders home invaders essentially have targeted the house and they are coming to kill Liv Tyler um (laughs) And what I found so scary about The Strangers is the question hanging over the entire film is why? Like, why did they target Liv Tyler? Who are these people? Like, why? Why is this happening? And at the end, Liv Tyler um, is asking them that, as you would in that situation. Like, why Why did you target me? And their answer is just, you were home. Mm-hmm. And that always, like, stayed with me forever because it was like, oh, it's random. So it could happen to anybody. And that's what's so scary about The Dark and the Wicked. The why is just because the devil chose them. And there's a little bit of an exploration of like, you know, is this a family who has lost their faith? Um, But I never felt like it was sort of lecturing or or saying that that was why it was happening. It felt very random to me, which made it even scarier. Yeah. Well, that's something that I've noticed about Bertino's movies, and it's something that a couple of reviewers pointed out in For the Dark and the Wicked, that his worldview relies very much on the idea that you could conceivably do every single thing right, and if you, uh, and it could not matter. Right. That sometimes evil just happens, and that is, to explore that in a way that feels meaningful but also connects is really hard to do we are creatures that seek out meaning and reason and explanation we have to know if there's you know we want the reaction and the reaction it's not just that well the devil just wants you sorry yeah which by the way also taps into like huge catholic existential fear like i've done everything right i'm good I won't be punished. Like that is our whole transactional thing with God, right? Like if we're good, if we pray, if we don't sin, we good, right? And to have that answer be, no, the devil can just come for you at any time. is like, what? (laughs) Like, Uh, no, 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 that's not the deal we've made. Something that I thought was, is a really fun detail about the movie is that 
it's filmed on his family's farm. Oh, wow. Okay. The location of it is actually where he grew up. It's his family. Oh, wow. Whatever you want to call it, ancestral, because it's Texas. Like, that is, like, uh, so those are locations that presumably he grew up around, you know, grew up in and, like, experienced and felt the vibe of the land and the home intimately. So to use that and his own background, I mean, first of all, it's a fantastic way to get around the fact that locations are a total bitch to find. And oh my God, scouting. And then you have to pay a fee. So that was nice. That was free. And he had a location to shoot on. Amazing. Yeah. And I just think that especially because it's a movie about family and about history and about the way that our memories can haunt us while and how they can be turned against us. It's cool that he, you know, I don't know, you've got to be pretty twisted to decide that your mom and dad's house is not going to be the site of a fucking terrifying horror movie. Yeah, but I love it. And I love that he took his time with this film and he was he was gone for a while. You know, he was not in between called The Monster with Zoe Kazan. Did you see that? I did. I thought it was good, although I'm not really much for any movie where a troubled heroine has to, like, redeem herself as a mother by protecting, you know, loved ones just because, like, basically it bores me. Sorry. Like, it just does. If you're if it's not how does how does the Babadook drive with that? Uh, well, the Babadook is different because it's the Babadook. <laughs> right. Okay. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. 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 And, and also because she spends most of the movie hating her child and that child is one I would also hate. Fair I point. felt like I could relate to it a little yes. bit more. I think a lot of us could because um, I am not into kids ever being in films. Sorry. <laughs> I don't like it. So we must move along because there's so much I still want to talk about in the recommendation section. Guys, look, we're going to run long. It's going to happen. Okay. Everybody calm the fuck down because it's another Meredith recommendation and I had to watch it immediately. Guns Akimbo. We got to talk about this oh. fucking wild, insane, batshit movie starring Daniel Radcliffe, as you've never seen him before. Sorry, I really didn't want to say that, but it is <laughs> actually true. Written and directed by Jason Lee Howden. This is a highly, highly stylized film um, about a loser tech guy who loves being a little troll on the internets. And there is a game called Schism that everybody is obsessed with in the world in which real people essentially fight street fighter style to the death and it is for everybody's entertainment and uh unfortunately for mr radcliffe he pisses off the wrong people online by being a little troll and wakes uh, one day to find himself actually in the game of schism um and not only that he has gun hands now they have actually affixed guns with bolts through his hands, through his hands to the guns. So he is permanently equipped with guns. He is forced to participate in this schism game. Uh, And by the way, if everything I just said makes your immediate first thought be, Allison, that sounds like the worst movie in the world. You're 100% right. I was texting Meredith while I was watching it. There's no reason this fucking movie should work. But it does, and it's not annoying. It's genuinely funny. 
There is uh, an incredible female lead who I'm obsessed with now. And I really enjoyed it. It's fun. I, I mean, obviously, I told you you had to watch it right away. And we have to talk about the fact that Samara Weaving, uh, the lead actress, uh, also the star of Ready or Not, another movie that I think another is Another Meredith recommendation to me. I don't know if I ever talked about it on the show, but Ready or Not is a great movie. You know, She's great she, in that as well. Yeah. She's, uh, you know, I... I she looks exactly like Margot Robbie, so it's a little bit weird to say that she's like a weirder Margot Robbie. But, but she is. She's like a high that. fashion Margot Robbie. Like you would see her like she's like a one of those models who look a little weird, so you remember their faces more. But yeah, that's a good description of what she looks like. Also, I feel like there are five actresses working right now who could be Margot Robbie's twins. So like it's just a very in look right now yeah. and always. Like tall, thin, blonde woman. Yeah. Yeah. But she's fantastic. She's wonderful. I think she's a welcome presence in any movie that's going to be a little weird and she has to kick some ass. She's very good at kicking ass. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that one of the reasons why this movie is successful is because it's made by a bunch of people from New Zealand. And the deranged things that come out of creative people in New Zealand somehow they are just get away with being completely bonkers it, as some people as others would never be able to pull off all the way back to when Peter Jackson made dead alive and he's, right. you know, the silliest strangest zombie movie in the universe. Yeah. I don't want anybody to get too excited, <laughs> but I know what you're all thinking. And yes, Reese Darby is in this film and he's wonderful and you will be excited when he shows up. Yeah. And I, 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 I must spoil a line because I do believe it will give you a sense of why, as this might be a movie, you start and think, this is going to be absurd. I will not watch this. At one point, Samara Weaving does say, it's just a little dick blood. It, but it is true. It is just a little dick blood. In her defense, it's not much dick blood. Like, okay, did somebody get shot in the dick? Yeah. Is it a mess? For sure. But comparatively... It's just a little dick blood because there's a lot of blood in this film. I will say that it's a violent film. If that's not your thing, if that triggers you, maybe don't watch Guns Akimbo. But I got to say, uh, you know, Samara's great in it. Daniel Radcliffe is very funny in it. And I knew he was funny because enough comedy people have told me that he's funny and I believe them. But I haven't really seen him in a lot of stuff, obviously, outside of Harry Potter. And he was a god damn treat of a surprise in Guns Akimbo. Yeah, I definitely get the sense that he is a weird dude that knows how to have fun with yes. interesting uh, opportunities. And, and like he, delights in it, I'm sure, yeah. because he is saddled with that image of a child actor in, in, in maybe the most successful franchise of all time. So like, I'm sure at this point he's like the weirder, the better. Let's let's be fucking freaks up in here. But that he seems to be doing it in a way that gives him interesting, where he's making interesting choices that actually seem to work or at least have elements that are, in, you know, compelling. I, The movie where he plays the dead guy. Uh, yes. Paul Dano. Like, uh, but, like, I respect it. 
Sure. Um, I would rather see, I'd rather see somebody swing for the fences and miss than, you know, play it safe every single time. So I respect that he always goes for it. Um, so you have not seen Mank yet, correct? I have not. Okay. I'll keep it general. I'll keep it broad. It's a recommendation from me. Um, it's David Fincher's new film available on Netflix right now. It dropped yesterday, I believe. Um, it is about Herman Mankiewicz, a.k.a. Mank, the man who wrote Citizen Kane. But, guys, you're not going to believe this. It's about so much more than just that. It's also about Upton Sinclair and unions and socialism and Nazis and Hollywood. It's about the relationship between the writer and the director, between the writer and the director and the studio, those kinds of hierarchical uh, power struggles. Uh, It is written weirdly by Jack Fincher, who was a journalist and also... Um, David Fincher's late father. So it's very, it's a, it's a passionate personal project for David Fincher. We feel that in the film. It is truly a movie for people who love movies. There is so much insider baseball about the industry, but not only that, random cameos in the film that aren't even explained. He just expects you to recognize certain actors on site and maybe you will, maybe you won't. Um, I don't think if you don't recognize them, it'll hurt your experience of watching it in any way, but it will probably enrich in it. If you do get these little nods to the industry and whatnot. I also don't think you necessarily need to rewatch citizen Kane to enjoy Mank, but it will certainly make things in Mank make sense to you more certain camera angles, certain framing devices. It is shot in the spirit of citizen Kane, very reminiscent of citizen Kane. So it'll probably overall heighten the experience for you. Specifically, I wanted to shout out Amanda Siegfried is brilliant in Mank. will probably at least get nominated for an Oscar, if not win an Oscar for it. She steals it in every single way. Um, you know, Gary Oldman's doing his Gary Oldman thing, you know, it's, it's, I'll just say like, I, I know Gary Oldman's a a good actor, great actor, but, uh, he's at that stage in his career where him turning up the Gary Oldman no longer thrills me, let's say, but she is wonderful in it. Very natural performance. Um, she's very charming. And I saw a lot of people expressing surprise over this and I hate to say it's your fault for sleeping on Mean Girls because she's phenomenal in that film. Mean Girls should have been recognized by the Academy. I stand by that. Mean Girls should have been nominated for Oscars. <laughs> I, uh, as somebody who's, well, as much as I love it, I am not on the, it's the greatest thing ever, but she is fantastic and has been obviously a great actress ever since she was in that. She's also amazing in Jennifer's Body. Once again, yes. if you want to see her doing things. And the character she plays in Mank is Marion Davies, right? Yes, correct. The, so Marion Davies, the screwball comedy actress who was William Randolph Hearst's mistress, uh, long overlooked as a comedic talent, but in the last 20 years or so, been getting a little bit more appreciation. And famously also played by another actress who 
we slept on for far too long, Kirsten Dunst in the movie Ugh. The Cat's Meow. Man, what a goddamn treat Kirsten Dunst is. And yeah, we we slept on her way too long. I should also say that uh, Hearst is played by Charles Dance, who you will all probably know as Tywin Lannister in Game of Thrones. He's incredible as Hearst. Um, so yeah, this film is also about, obviously, the newspaper industry, propaganda, how uh, very powerful rich men like Hearst interfere with elections. If that sounds timely, it's because it's extremely timely. It's also about the death of mo- movie studios, which, especially right now with Warner Brothers' big announcement that their entire 2021 slate of films is going directly to streaming, is um, extremely prescient, you know? Is it the end of movie theaters as we know it? Nobody really knows. Um, I'm very sad to think it is, but, you know, we we never know what tomorrow might bring. Um, I did want to go on a little bit of a rant about Mank right now, and not just Mank, but uh, a, a pattern I've noticed in screenwriting in general right now which is the self-conscious woke monologue delivered by a character that is clearly the writers being like, we know we wrote a one-dimensional character and we know that's a problem, but we won't fix it. So a recent example of this obviously is Jolene. She doesn't have a last name in The Queen's Gambit, who is uh, the protagonist's one black friend who... It's her support system throughout the film. And then at the end of the film, or I'm sorry, at the end of the series, there is a very strange moment where she delivers a monologue in which she is essentially like, hey, I'm not just a supporting character, but she totally is. There's a similar moment in Mank with the character of poor Sarah, who is Sarah Mankiewicz, Herman Mankiewicz's long-suffering wife. He asks her multiple times in this movie, why do you love me? And we never find out the answer, truly. And then there is a moment at the end, I don't think this is a spoiler because it's really nothing of a moment, where she says like, you probably just think I'm a one-dimensional character in your life, but I'm not. Yes, she is, because she's been written that way. And this is just a pattern in screenwriting I've noticed. If you are a writer and you ever find yourself writing the dialogue for a character or a monologue for a character in which they are insisting they're not a one-dimensional character. It's because you've written them to be a one-dimensional character. You should go back and fix it. That should never make it to filming. That needs to be somebody's job just to look for that line. I'm not just a supporting character in your life. Yes, you are, because we have written you incorrectly. You're not a fully realized person. We can, we can fix it. We have time to fix it. Sorry. Thank you for letting me get that out. No, of course. And thank you for the, uh, you know, I think that's a smart thing for people to be thinking of (laughs) at a time when issues of representation and who gets to tell stories continue to be a question. So guys, if you're doing it, maybe consider shifting your focus a little bit so that some of those characters have the chance to be more than supporting characters, as opposed to just yelling about how they were ignored in a uh, form of art that literally focuses the camera on the characters they have decided are important. <laughs> I mean, my God, especially in a, a screenplay about a screenwriter, it's about writing, it's about character development. It's like, come on, we gotta, we gotta be better about this type of stuff. But overall, um, 
Mank is visually stunning. Amanda Siegfried is wonderful in it. I never know if I'm saying her name right, so I apologize if I'm mispronouncing it. Uh, great acting all around. And yeah, I if, especially if you like are passionate about film, you love film, definitely give it a watch. It's it it really moves like it it doesn't feel as, as long as it is. It's not terribly long. Fincher's films usually aren't. Uh, but anyway, so final recommendation, and it is a recommendation. It is a train wreck of a recommendation, but I think the entertainment value outweighs. What a fucking weird series it was. Anyway, I recommend The Undoing, everybody. The finale, no spoilers, <laughs> but it was exactly as crazy as it needed to be. Absolutely no one is having more fun at work right now than Hugh Grant. I love watching him just delight in undercutting his whole charming British befuddled brand. You can just tell he's having the best time and it's a joy to watch. Was the show about anything? No, I'm not super psyched about how they handled the development of the woman he is having an affair with in The Undoing. She is barely a person in the series. She, the actress is forced to show up naked multiple times and it's like, why is she topless right now? Um, (laughs) We know nothing about this woman. We do not need to see her brutally murdered over and over and over again. That creeped me out. Um, seemed like David Kelly was having a little bit too much fun seeing her get smashed in the face with a hammer. And, uh, so I have my notes, but overall, if you enjoy Nicole Kidman and her ridiculous red wig and, um, beautiful flowing green jacket, pensively crossing New York city roads over and over and over again, you'll love the undoing it's a good escapist bullshit series um i know a lot of people were upset by the finale i sort of love that i don't want to give any spoilers i i love what they did i'll just say that hey i mean i have not i meant to watch it when i was packing and then proceeded to not do that because i (laughs) you know though i will say if you have any last minute items that you need to pack up it's a great great packing show i devoted probably 75 percent of my attention to every episode yeah and i think that anything where we're all stuck inside the idea of watching people be rich and fabulous and also hate worthy is one of those things that we're not going to realize how much we miss it until we get a little bit further into next year and there is no new television so yeah we can we can do it but also yeah anytime i get to see you grant being kind of a dick I love it because, hey, reminds me of how good Paddington 2 was. Oh, you guys, if you are sleeping on the Paddington franchise right now, again, you're fucking up because mm-hmm. one is a goddamn classic. And when I was about to go into two, I was like, well, there's no way they could possibly top one. And they somehow do. Uh, Meredith, do you have any recommendations that we didn't cover? Uh, oh my gosh, do I? I do not think I do because my brain has been completely in chaos mode and I think everything I've been doing has been just keeping myself from going insane. And well, that's actually great news because we ran extremely over because I can't <laughs> shut the fuck up apparently about anything. 
Guys, on that note, let's all hold hands and cry. Here's your bad news. All right, so to no one's surprise, we're going to talk a lot about COVID in the bad news section. Because if you feel sort of crazy right now because you feel like the news is like, hey, we broke another record today. And you're thinking, I thought we broke a record yesterday. The answer to that is yes, we did. Because we keep shattering records because COVID is spreading like wildfire. The pandemic is completely out of control. Um, The U.S. reported 2,777 coronavirus-related deaths on Wednesday alone. According to NBC, the country registered nearly 205,000 new cases of COVID on the same day, a figure that comes just a month after the U.S. single-day record topped 100,000 cases, just shattering record after record. Um, more people than ever are hospitalized. I saw somebody on Twitter, not just somebody, I'm not like quoting a rando <laughs> on Twitter, a verified journalist saying that one in five people hospitalized in the U.S. right now have COVID, which is just staggering. Um, the COVID tracking project reports that 100,000 people were hospitalized across the country. Hospitals everywhere are completely overwhelmed. You're seeing really scary stories right now about how hospitals are trying to cope because they don't have enough staff members. A lot of the nurses and doctors have COVID themselves and how they are now forced to reprioritize how they handle people who come in who are like, I think I have COVID, how they have to treat certain patients like with triage, basically. If you are not showing active symptoms, you have to go to the back of the line. We just can't handle you right now, which is super scary because an asymptomatic person might just be like, okay, I guess I'm fine, and go back into their community and infect everyone. Yeah. And the stories about how the actual staffs are managing and not managing and the level of trauma that they've absorbed, knowing that we're not going to actually see the consequences of Thanksgiving and the travel that people did for another few weeks, you know, and then by then we'll be at Christmas. These, it's actually impossible to conceive of what January and February are going to look like right now. And that's, it's just, we haven't done the things that we've needed to do and don't seem inclined to change that. And that's entirely a failure of leadership and of messaging and the fact that we have 50 states with 50 different procedures. And within those states, there are different procedures in every town and county and we have people out here saying that they're going to get a lung destroy, you know, a body destroying illness just to own the libs. It's really <sighs> frightening that this continues to be just the norm. We've just adjusted. Now you just don't go outside and see your loved ones or you do because nobody cares. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very concerned with, you know, Obviously, the incoming Biden administration is going to deal with this aftermath. I mean, it's not even an aftermath. It's it's it will be raging at its peak when he gets into office. 
And if you think that the left and the Democrats aren't going to be 100% blamed for everything that happens at that time, you out of your goddamn mind, because that's exactly what's going to happen, even though obviously we will be seeing the ramifications of gutting the state, you know, a total institutional failure in this country where our hospitals were understaffed, underfunded. There was no, as you just said, Meredith, any kind of like coherent national strategy or policy, 50 state policy to deal with this, um, that the Trump administration had actively been undermining any kind of pandemic response before COVID, like they, their whole deal was just dismantling government as soon as they got into government, you know? Um, this is what happens. Now we can't respond in any kind of efficient, meaningful way because you gutted the government. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and also let's talk about the fact that um, everybody's talking about the vaccines and how they'll be distributed, how they'll be, you know, how they'll function. And that just speaks to how desperately everyone seems to want to pretend like life will be back to normal can be distributed by giving out. And I'm definitely one of those people. Like I catch myself just sliding into total denialism where I'm like, yeah, when things go back to normal, I phrase things like that in my head all the time just to like cope mentally, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And there's, you know, I get the need to, to think to these things, but we're not, you know, we have to think about how our lives are going to be different from here on out. This is a new, we've got a new normal, not a, uh, you know, not a solution. And I'm, I'm just worried. I'm worried about my family and my friends and about all of the people who have been working so hard to keep their families and loved ones protected and fed and housed and how we still haven't done anything to help them and how that's going to end. People are going to end up with their lives and livelihoods destroyed because we didn't get our shit together. We have no we have no way to actually quantify the amount of suffering that will come from this. No, yeah, and I I mean I doubt we'll ever live to see like you and me obviously the full ripple effect of all of this, which is just staggering to think about how this is going to permanently change the world, you know? And sometimes I'm optimistic and I'm like, "Oh, Maybe it'll result in good things. Like, what if we had Medicare for all? Because by the time we get to the end of this, it's the only way we can actually save the country, you know? Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I, it could truly could go either way, right? Like, we could to- descend into total anarchy, civil war, uh, complete collapse of the country. Or this is the sort of come-to-Jesus moment where you know, enough people are like, wait a second, why the fuck have we been running the country this way for so long? Yeah, but we know what how that goes with climate change, so I don't know why we would expect yeah. it to be any different here. True, true. Thanks for checking me in the bad news section, Meredith. You're right. Hey. Um, so I also wanted to talk about this slew of pardons happening right now <laughs> from the White <laughs> House. Totally unsurprising, right? We knew that Trump's whole deal was going to be pardoning his little uh, group of cronies on his way out. But we have seen him pardon Michael Flynn. Obviously, he commuted Roger Stone's sentence. 
But other upcoming pardons might include Rudy Giuliani, Ivanka Trump, Joseph um, Maldonado, Passage, uh, a.k.a. Joe Exotic. Just a, a few of them. Um, yeah, unsurprising because this is a criminal enterprise, but frustrating nonetheless because I feel like we don't get much good news in this country. And to see somebody like Michael Flynn get pardoned and then immediately just be like a belligerent right-wing conspiracy theorist <laughs> upon his release. It was just um, a real needle in the vagina, if you will. Yeah. Just thinking, right, right. These guys are just going to continue being awful and uh, they have been counting on this. This has been the plan for as long as this has, uh, as long as they've been in office, this, the assumption was that there would be no consequences because they could just wave away whatever charges or convictions came out of it and that nobody would call them on it because they've always gotten away with it. And frankly, being big enough pains in the asses, they probably will. And not only that, not only, like, obviously, will they get away with everything, there will be book deals and, like, network contracts. And, like, they will benefit and fail up from this forever because that is just how our system works. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I I love that there's already, you know, there have been the stories about the plans to pardon people, the potential that they're investigating these conversations of selling pardons that have been going on. We're seeing yes. exactly what we assumed was happening, being investigated before it happens. We know they're trying. And it's so, okay, yes, I can't believe you guys are, and you can believe they're so stupid that the, they thought, hmm, who can we shop this to? Like, yeah, so a little bit of a little bit of background. The Justice Department is investigating the White House for uh, this bribery for pardon scheme. I won't get into the details because it's like a very nitty gritty and boring. But the Washington Post reports that specifically U.S. prosecutors were investigating investigating whether two individuals had approached senior White House officials as unregistered lobbyists and a potentially related plot in which cash would be passed through intermediaries in exchange for a pardon of the sentence of a defendant who apparently is or once was in the custody of the Federal Bureau of Prisons. So that's like the very short background of the bribery for pardon scheme. So yeah, there's, there's two things happening right now, which is I probably the more salacious aspect of it is oh trump is pardoning his like gross little buddies like flynn and stone and giuliani and then there's this other justice department investigation that was like the the bribery for pardon stuff yeah and uh ivanka trump had to testify i think was that about the bribery or about some yes other that was that was about the bribery for pardon. she was very sad because she had spent four hours of her day answering questions and it was so unfair you guys so oh why are you so unchill i'm just a nice like lady trying to be a good mom to my children but are you oh so of all of the former trump people i want to get your answer Mm-hmm. I think the one that's just going to make out like a goddamn bandit is Ivanka. Absolutely. Um, I think she's going to have like 
brand endorsement stuff. I think she's going to have her own show. I think there's going to be Ivanka magazine. You know, like, I think she is just going to like be everywhere. I I think that that's the danger. And I hope that there's enough interest in not doing that. That there's enough like follow through on avoiding that since it does, it would be such a bad look and people did ignore the bullshit at the beginning of the administration and give her some of that press. You know, I think there was a story in one of the recent exposés about Condé Nast that uh, staffers were supposed to be very deferential to Ivanka when she came in. And I, uh, I think we might be able to avoid it, but I'm not sure we, Mm. we need, I think it's important nationally and sort of culturally that we not allow her to rehab her image. Oh, I agree that it is, essential that we do everything in our power to not allow that to happen. Unfortunately, just the way I see things going, I think Ivanka will be the one who, you know, gets out of it relatively unscathed because obviously, you know, the left doesn't like her, but is the hatred at the same level as say it is for Trump himself? No, she sort of has that like first lady thing going on. God, that's gross. Sorry. I phrased her as the first lady, but you know, it happened. I put it out there, but you know how like nobody's ever as mad at the first lady as they are at the president. Cause it's like, she's the first lady. She's harmless, you know, even though like she could potentially not be harmless. That's how I think a lot of people consider of like Ivanka where it's like, yeah, she's not good, but she's not like evil. Yeah. And I, and I think, but she is evil. She is. <laughs> That's the thing we all have to remember. Um, I always think of the great SNL commercial, complicit, you know, the perfume commercial. She's totally complicit. She is a part of it. She's part of this evil family. She's in there. She's making deals. Like she is a hundred percent as complicit as everybody else. But the, I mean, let's just be real being five foot 11, having good highlights and a nose job should not exempt you from the consequences of your actions. In I America, take a little not, bit of an issue but. with you saying her highlights are good. Uh, I didn't, well, they're expensive. I yeah, she did spend too much for them. Yeah. Like they're a little, uh, chunky nineties vibe going on. I can never keep track about what they actually look like at any given time. Yeah. She, yeah. She's a, uh, I just think the fact that we're still doing highlights is weird. I'm sorry. It is. But, you know, we live in a different world than women who, well, than the Karens who are still getting highlights. True. I am currently watching The Real Housewives of New York because I am part of the problem. And there's a new housewife named Leah who I adore, who's a streetwear designer. And she's not as wealthy as the other women. And she lives downtown. And they all think that's super weird. And she has, like five little tattoos and they spend half the season berating her for it. And they're like, tattoos are so ugly. You look like you're going to kill somebody. And I was just like, wow. Yeah. I consistently forget. I inhabit a different planet than these type of like upper West side wealthy women who get the chunky highlights and who would never, ever get tattoos because they think it makes you look like trashy. I was just like, oh yeah, we, we just, um, we live on different planets. Yeah. I have a a close friend of mine who many years ago, he grew up in Manhattan. Uh, 
and he lives on the Upper East Side and has for many, many, many years, his whole life, basically. He said, yeah, there's a, you can tell the lifespan of the, you know, most Park Avenue women in three phases. Trophy wife, aging trophy wife, and second wife. <laughs> yeah, it is true. It's true, though. By the way, I apologize for saying they're Upper West Siders. They're Upper East Siders. Yeah. I don't want... Um, you know, I don't want I, Ramona to come for me or uh, or, or uh, Sonia. None of so, those on yeah. the Upper West Side. Uh, What's that? But I think of I said none of the hippies, but let's let's just move ourselves into consigning Ivanka to the invisible former. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. So do you? Is that also your assessment that Ivanka will be the one to make out the best? I think she probably, I think she'll be okay. I don't know. Guys, can I just say everybody needs to stop saying Trump's ever going to go to prison because I still see people saying that. And I'm like, are you fucking delusional? Like if you think any of these assholes are going to see jail time, I question what you've been watching the past decade because rich, powerful people don't ever face consequences. Uh, well, and, you know, I actually, I have a very hot take here. Ooh, I love it. I think who is going to come out the best out of the entire Trump administration? Mm-hmm. Stephen Miller. He oh, is. interesting. Because he is so evil, you would think surely no one in society would let someone who perpetrated such heinous crimes against humanity into polite society, in you know, give him jobs, do this stuff. But he got into that position at a young age by being snaky and conniving. He's got his pretty wife with his little kid and she's not pretty but like let's think about this from the perspective of someone who might hire him got the right image now where the shiny you know all of the trappings of family that he can he's going to be able to sell because there will always be people who want someone evil and conniving like that to do their dirty work and he has proven that he can weather as infinite amounts of shit without actually getting taken down that's like billionaire like evil billionaire lex luther level valuable skills oh and he already has the lex luther haircut so <laughs> that will be a seamless transition for him well that is a very depressing prediction that will a hundred percent actually happen i feel it in my bones that you're right so, guys, on the note of Stephen Miller um, seamlessly segueing into a bright, prosperous future, um, here's your good news. So first in good news, I, I'm going to count this as good news because, you know, it just had to make Trump so enormously pissed. Uh, William Barr, attorney general, m- most famous for just being like Trump's pet at this point, nonetheless came out and said there was no voter fraud in the 2020 election, which, you know, just had to infuriate Trump. But I do think it's significant, especially because overwhelmingly Republicans have been silent about this. 
that the most powerful attorney in the land came out and said, actually, no evidence of fraud. Yep. And there's there's so much good. Anything related to the election is just good news when it comes to the idea that it's making Trump mad. Uh, the ongoing spectacle of the hearings where these people are saying deranged things and testifying about voter fraud or intimidation that they experienced and just making asses of themselves. I truly love to see it. Love so to- I have to bring this up because you just handed me a perfect uh, segue. Speaking of deranged conspiracy theorists, I would like to personally thank everyone who sent me the clip of Ms. Melissa Carone, who was Rudy Giuliani's star witness in a hearing about quote-unquote election fraud at the Michigan House of Representatives recently. The clip of her incoherently trying to explain why she believes there was voter fraud, um, just being a hot mess. I'd like to thank everyone who sent me that clip and was like, I've seen you do this character or I thought you would do a character like this. I actually got quite a few messages about it. You're 100% right, spot on. I would play that woman in a scene or a sketch. (laughs) She's a goddamn treat. I laughed my ass off watching it. I'm so mad that I didn't do that character and she's a real person. Um, but yeah, th- thank you for thinking of me when you saw that hot mess is what I'm saying. Yes. And I'm, I'm glad she was exactly who I was thinking of when, uh, when I was talking about these people testifying, I, I don't know what was going on with her or if everyone that occupies that kind of mental space also, just do they just sound like they're very drunk? Or yeah, are here here's the question I have asked myself about every single person in like Trump's orbit, which I count her as being in Trump's orbit because she's in Giuliani's orbit. Every single time I see them speak publicly, I'm like, how many pills are you on? Are you drunk? I had somebody ask me the other day, like, do you think they're like all abusing pills? And I was like, I think so. Just like the way they behave, the way they speak. Um, yeah, she seemed off her fucking rocker. Absolutely. And there's just that sort of, and the belligerent energy of it in the face of, of reasonable questions and like her and, and just flat out being proved completely wrong Well, this is also like a thing that like I struggle with a lot. I'm a little less naive these days because just (laughs) having met a lot of people and having been around addicts, like I now know the warning signs. But as someone who would not arrive inebriated to a public hearing, right, sometimes it's hard for us to get into the mindset of someone who would. So people who don't show up fucked up to stuff tend to think, well, they can't be on something because that would be insane. But it's like, no, there you'd be surprised how many people show up to like stuff like really high or like drunk, you know? And also how when you're in that space, the self-perception of how you're presenting yourself to the world and how you are presenting yourself is completely off. So, yeah, that that's a huge fear I have um, of 
uh, I, not that I did much stand up, uh, because the pandemic happened as I was getting into it, but I never wanted to be like drunk when I did it because there's nothing more horrifying than seeing a set back that you thought you were doing well in and you're just like a mess, you know, like you're like, oh, I killed. And it's like your reality is completely different. Yeah. And you wonder why so many people in entertainment are open about recovery and about addiction. And then you realize, oh, right. There is fuckloads of recorded examples of you being oh, yeah. a complete jackass and you thought you were killing it. Yeah. Like, there is video evidence of how different reality you was from how you were feeling that you have to think of, that you can think of when dealing with your issues and how you want to process them and how really? to deal with substances. And yeah, I would do that too. And hopefully this woman's video, you know, I doubt it's all, it's almost certainly more likely that she would get help for substance abuse than for her to change her opinions of the security and sanctity of the election process because you don't come back from that red pill, but right. like, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I'm also counting it as good news that Biden asked uh, Anthony Fauci to stay on in his same top infectious disease expert position. I think that's the right call. I think one of the most trusted, maybe one of the only trusted public health officials in the country right now is Dr. Fauci. Even uh, most Republicans trust him, which is huge. Like, that is such a rare thing in this country, you know? So, um, yeah, I think that's a good call. I feel comforted in the idea that that he's staying on. Yeah, I do, too. And I think it's reasonable for us to be skeptical of how things are going to go and how the Biden administration is actually going to handle the pandemic once they're able to to really take control of the response. But that's a good sign. Having that there are so few people that seem to have that that actually command respect in the public health space have become noticeable. That as you said, one of the only people that does have that distinction is going to be a force that is allowed to give information out and try and and disseminate the government's message, it, I think it will make a difference. And I can only hope that other elements of the national response will continue to kind of improve. Yeah. I was about to agree with you so hard. I choked is what just happened. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, the way I, the way I parse what, how I feel right now is I'm very excited to see an administration that believes in like science be back in the White House, but I don't envy Fauci's position because it's like, here is a very smart, capable man who is dealing with a completely gutted public health infrastructure. So it's like, how much can he really do? But at the same time, I am comforted that when facts and figures are coming out of his mouth, they will be real, you know? Yeah. And I think you really hit on what the main challenge of any member of the Biden administration is going to face, which is how do you come out and be a person who lives in the fact-based world, who has 
the tools and desire to make changes to try and undo some of this damage after four years of systematic gutting of these institutions and erosion of trust in them that is in some cases completely legitimate. So how uh, how well will that work? And I know that that's not a good news sort of thing, mm. but I do think that that will be the main challenge of anybody. Hey, you know what? It was real and being real is always good news. So hey. it's allowed. In this case, it's just good that we're going to have Fauci and then, you know, maybe, maybe sometime two years from now, we'll actually all be able to meet up in person and toast him with a Ugh. glass. Of wine. <laughs> it's literally all I want. I just, I miss hanging out with people so much guys. And I know like that is such a champagne problem. Um, but it's an actual human health issue. You know, people, people can die of loneliness. Did you know that? It's true. Um, yes, it is. That's why uh, robot pets are such amazing things. Yeah. Also, guys, I'm fine. That sounded very hyperbolic. I'm not dying. I, I talk to people every day. I'm totally okay. I just miss my friends. Um, so also in good news, the House of Representatives has approved legislation that would decriminalize marijuana and seek to address the devastating injustices caused by the war on drugs. Now, obviously, this will not make it past the Senate, uh, nor would Trump sign it in a million years. Uh, but I think it is very encouraging and a clear indicator of where the country is going. The legalization or decriminalization of marijuana is inevitable. It will happen. Uh, I believe that. And it was also a trip to hear like Republicans be like, yeah, we got to we got to decriminalize it. What are we doing? Yeah. I mean, this is something that it's shocking to me that it wasn't a topic that became part of statewide races or, you know, in strategy in the 2020 election. And maybe that was just because everyone was so worried about Trump, because this is a winning issue. Undeniably, it's wildly popular. There's so it, there's no way it's a bad move. And now that Republicans have seen this, I mean, it's on the one hand, the Democrats can support the fact that it could potentially lead to people being out of prison be, for because they've been unfairly prosecuted for bullshit charges. Also, uh, dealing with systemic racial injustice. A re Republican can support it because it's a way for companies to get rich by creating a new business that needs to be regulated. Yeah, exactly. And I should also I should stress <laughs> that the bill passed largely along party lines. It was like. 222 Democrats and like five Republicans. So like, it's not like the Republicans were like overwhelmingly in support of it, but even seeing like a handful of Republicans be like, oh yeah, like that to me is a sign that things are changing. Yeah. And I, it is still, it is a good sign. I think as much as anything, just to know that it is a part of the conversation. Uh, and if you didn't watch the legal marijuana episode of Patriot Act with Hassan Binaj on Netflix. I like, I was the lead producer on that. So Check I know it out. But maybe you could learn something about how the system for legal marijuana is also kind of rigged against people of color and people who are not large companies. Uh, it's fun times. 
you know, just in case you want to take the good news and bring it down with some facts. Always. Let's always tamper expectations. So Uh finally in good news, I wanted to congratulate Elliot Page for coming out as transgender. They posted a very clear message about their preferred pronouns, uh, he, they. They basically gave like a checklist to the media about how to cover this story that the media immediately threw out the dang window. They started dead naming Elliot everywhere. You should never do that, obviously. Never, never, never. You never have to do that. There was, I think, a lot of bullshit um, explanation about why they were doing that, where they were like, well, nobody will know who we're talking about. It's like, absolutely, if you write Elliot Page, star of Juno and Inception, people will know who you're talking about. You never have an excuse to deadname somebody. Deadnaming someone is violence. Don't fucking do it. And why is it, why is it violence? Because it feeds into the notion that a transgender person is merely pretending to be the gender that they are um, presenting to the world. And that is not the case. They're not tricking someone. And that can, that mentality can result in real life acts of violence against uh, transgender people. So don't do it. Elliot Page's name is Elliot. And by the way, it is super shady to say Elliot Page, star of the Umbrella Academy, because while I recognize that that is the the series they most recently starred in, Elliot has been in such better projects. (laughs) And I think it is so incredibly shady to say Elliot Page, star of Umbrella Academy. I'm so glad you mentioned that, because when I saw that headline, I legitimately didn't I actually didn't recognize the name and I thought who's on the umbrella Academy that this would be. And then I thought about it a little more and I realized, Oh, yeah, but you figured it out, right? It took me a second. Why would you do that? Did that many people watch the umbrella Academy? I guess. No, I truly, (laughs) I truly just think it's because it was the project they most recently did. And they were like, well, it'll, it's, it's good for stupid, um, search, optimization oh, too yeah, right. of course of yeah course. yeah you yeah. always put the most recent project yeah it's it's just search engine optimization but yeah congratulations to elliot um loved the the message they put out there just about being like kind and decent to people especially right now um i love that not that i think it was calculated in any way but i think it's a really powerful time for them to come out as transgender obviously because we talk about you know, a lot, the acts of violence against transgender people in this country are so disproportionately high when compared to the rest of the population is incredibly dangerous to be transgender because there, um, a lot of people are, are ignorant about what being transgender means, including the police who, who don't, who mishandle cases of violence against transgender people all the time. Transgender people are murdered, go missing all the time. So it's always really powerful when someone of their magnitude comes out as transgender. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And congrats to him. And I hope that this is the start of some really wonderful shit. Yeah. 
So, guys, thank you so much for listening. Please follow Meredith on Twitter at Meredith L. Clark. Is there anything you want to promote right now? Uh, not for myself, but can I make one quick plug for a friend's debut novel that Absolutely came out? Exciting. Uh, it's called A Certain Hunger by Chelsea G. Summers. It is a novel uh, narrated by a 50 something former food critic who is also a uh, murderer <laughs> in prison for life who has spent the last many years killing and then eating her male lovers. Oh so, my God, I'm obsessed with this. If you want to read a book that is really quite sexy and then also extremely gross and beautifully written, I highly recommend A Certain Hunger. I am a huge fan Chelsea is a wonderful, you know, dear, I think she's a great writer, uh, but this was a total labor of love and it's finally out in print and available. So First definitely- of all, how dare <laughs> you? You know, my entire brand is horny and gross. So the fact that it took you this long to personally me infuriates me, but also everybody should check that out. That sounds incredible. I'm definitely going to check it out. I'm going to go buy it right now. Get on it. Seriously, guys. Uh, smash the smash the buy button. There have been some fantastic reviews. Uh, and uh, yeah, she's a great person who wrote a really dark, really messed up, really brilliant novel. So just lean into it and make it your Christmas reading. You know, get a little gross and horny on Christmas, as Jesus wanted us to. Absolutely. On that note, everybody, thank you so much for listening. And while you're at it, stay inside and cause a little trouble. 